The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 373, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, October 12th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. On Wednesday nights, we cover MMA and wrestling with a start time of 11.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Pacific. Thursday nights, we do it all over again, but this time switching gears, talking gaming, entertainment, and sometimes a little bit of tech sprinkled in for good measure. This broadcast is simulcast on a couple of different outlets. Video is being simulcast on StreamUp, Vaughn Live, Restream.io, Twitch, and YouTube Live. In addition to that, audio is being simulcast via Mixler, which you can listen to on your desktop as well as on your mobile device. Just punch in M-I-X-L-R either in the iTunes Store or in the Google Play Store, and you'll be able to get the Mixler app, which will allow you to listen to high-quality 96K stereo episodes of MTR as well as Black is the New Black. Punch in the shows, and you are off to the races. You can also listen in via the call-in number, just note hit option one, and you'll be able to listen to the show that way, albeit the sound quality will be a little of a little slightly lower quality, that's for sure. But if you do want to participate via the call-in number, just make sure you hit option one and let's lick let's lick let's lick no. <laughs> you want to participate in tonight's show. But as always, best way to participate watch video, or listen to audio is by heading over to mtrlive.com and you'll be able to get all the video access there from all the different video players we have set up as well as participate in our live show chat. All right, a couple of things before we jump into tonight's topics, lots of housekeeping, a couple of things I want to get out there. Uh, First and foremost, we got some new content on the Rageworks Podcast Network, including issue number one of the Varian Issue Myself and Jimbo Slice break down some of the latest happenings in comics and collectibles as only we can. Obviously, if you're familiar with what we do on MTR and some of our other shows, you know what to expect. Raw, uncut, 
and in your face. And um, we're really proud of it. A really great positive response so far. I want to thank everyone who has been downloading it and hitting us up via social media. Shout out to Javon Lewis, who reached out to me earlier today. That was checking it out. And Jimbo Slice has been receiving tons of great praise for his work on the show as well. Uh, We're really looking forward to delivering something different and unique uh, in the same vein as all of the other shows on the RageWorks Network. That show is available now on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, but also on RageWorks.net. Of course, this week you got the two episodes of MTR, MMA and Wrestling Tonight, Gaming and Entertainment Tomorrow, and there will also be a new episode of the regular season sportscast, plus a brand new episode of Call Me When It's Over featuring Josie's Boy. So definitely a full slate of shows for all of you, regardless of interest, to keep you guys occupied and entertained over the next couple of days, which actually works out well because there will not be, a reminder, there will not be episodes, live episodes of My Take Radio next week. So for those of you that have asked, uh, we will be covering the Photo Plus Expo next week as well as a couple of associated events, and that will be why we will not be doing live shows that week. But we'll be back on air the following week to break down the latest happenings in MMA and pro wrestling, as well as gaming and entertainment. A communique for some reason via my tablet, which I am sure is slick. It is. Thank you, sir. wonder why that came through on this thing and not on my phone. Anyway, nonetheless, that is the broadcast schedule for next week. Of course, we'll have new episodes the week after. And in November, we're going to probably have uh, two weeks of schedule of scheduled shows, and then we will probably be taking a break, obviously, for Thanksgiving. And, of course, in December, we got a couple of shows on deck for you guys as well, but probably two, and then we're going to take the last two weeks off to go into 2016. So we pretty much have it all fleshed out. Uh, one other thing I did want to mention, we got a brand new episode of MTR Beyond the Mic. It's been a while since um, we've done one of those because, obviously, schedules have been a little hectic lately, but we got a brand new episode of that as well. You should be seeing that on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio this weekend. Myself uh, myself and Louis Blout from Soul Purpose Designs have a sit-down to talk about all the work that's going on with this company. Uh, nice, awesome, fa- fashion-forward startup here in the New York City area. A lot of really great pop culture designs that Lewis showcased when I met with him face to face, plus a lot of great positive messages that he is putting out with his merchandise. Be on the lookout for that interview uh, this weekend as well. The other thing I did want to mention, I know some of you guys have been asking for some sort of a calendar or schedule with regards to all the shows. Um, A couple of things. I'm going to try and break it down as best as I can. My take radio is weekly. Unless, you know, the schedule changes or something happens, My Take Radio will be a weekly live broadcast uh, for the time being. Uh, TRSS is also weekly. Usually uh, we receive our our episodes on Wednesday night for distribution overnight into Thursday morning. So you should always be on the lookout for that by Thursday uh, during the NFL season and pro- and before the weekend, no later than Friday on non-NFL season you know on non-nfl season days also josie's boys call me when it's over is also weekly that is a weekly broadcast uh ben and taylor's black is the new black 
is usually weekly, but you know, there's technical issues scheduling, but you should expect that at minimum weekly at maximum every other week. Uh, the variant issue will be bi-weekly every two weeks with the show dropping on Wednesdays. That will be the plan with the variant issue, as some of you guys have been asking for a set broadcast schedule. Unfortunately, that's that's as close as we can get, only because I have to respect um, my fellow colleagues' time and not you know not make them commit to any particular days, but. To give you the, the ballpark, like I said, it's either going to be weekly for most of the broadcasts, bi-weekly for the variant issue, and occasional bi-weekly for uh, Black is the New Black. But just in case, I'm going to try and put something together on the site, maybe an FAQ, put it on uh, the top page of Rageworks, because I'm sure a lot of you guys will be able to get answers to that. Uh, in addition, want to thank all of you that have been subscribing to the Rageworks channel on YouTube. Very happy to see those numbers growing. Happy to see more and more of you guys uh, checking out those videos. I know a lot of you guys are also checking out Slick Streams. I'm actually seeing the numbers on his videos climb dramatically week over week. So definitely want to thank you guys on behalf of Slick for that. Uh, last but not least, I did want to mention we actually started up social media profiles for the variant issue. Uh, we already have a Facebook page set up. We have a Twitter account set up for that as well. But again, if it's a situation where, you know, you guys are on active, are actively on Facebook and want to support us, definitely check out those accounts for the variant issue. I will put links for that in this week's show notes. Um, Slick just informed me that the, the guys over at Black is the New Black are actually streaming Mafia 3 right now. Um, it's, uh, you know, those guys are definitely di diversifying their content. That is for sure. Um, the other thing I did want to mention, and this is, uh, something I've been, uh, kind of on the fence about, but I figured I would let you guys know about this. Uh, there is a chance that maybe in de December there will be a, um, a switch in scheduling with maybe MMA and wrestling weekly, and possible, possible gaming and entertainment bi-weekly. Still weighing that out, but I know I've discussed my plans with MTR with a couple of my colleagues, my close colleagues here at Rageworks, and we kind of have a blueprint on where we want to go with MTR for 2016. Once I have more concrete and more detailed information for you guys, of course, keep it locked to Rageworks.net for those developments. All right, so lots on deck tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about Conor McGregor in the news this week. Nate Diaz also in the news this week. Uh, we're going to talk about the return of Ronda Rousey. Yes, we will be talking about that. We're going to talk Hendo versus Bisping, which was a crazy, crazy card. Um, I actually missed the prelims, but did get to watch the main card. Also, on the WWE side of things, we're going to talk about Alberto Del Rio's recent entry into MMA as an executive, we're going to talk about Paige's suspension. Um, definitely, um, you know, a couple of different things on that front that I want to get into. We're going to talk No Mercy, Raw, SmackDown, and the week's wrestling news as well. Again, if you guys want to participate, mtrlive.com. Chat room is open, and you guys will be able to share your thoughts there. Uh, to answer your question, Slick, probably uh, two times a month is the answer for that. 
Uh, but in any case, that's what we got on deck. That's going to wrap up the housekeeping. Let us jump into this week's MMA, shall we? UFC 204 was, without a doubt, a crazy, 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 crazy card. Couple of reasons. It was a night of finishes. Everybody had a highlight reel finish pretty much from the first fight to up until the co-main event. There was just finish after finish after finish. I know a lot of the guys that checked out the prelims. um, I tried to catch some of the highlights on YouTube for those prelim fights. Same thing, just amazing amazing talent on display Uh, a lot of submission stuff a lot of really really impressive performances uh one that sticks out for me is stefan struve uh the skyscraper taking on daniel omiela i'm gonna mess up this guy's name omielanzuk um it was a heavyweight fight and stefan struve got a beautiful finish with a darce choke in the second round i was thoroughly thoroughly impressed for a couple of reasons number one Obviously, Stefan Struve, big, massive, giant heavyweight, uh, being able to move, move so effortlessly and so smoothly into a very, very, very impressive Darce choke. Also, Jimmy Manua, OSP, I was, I was blown away by my pick. Um, I was going with OSP, big fan of the guy from his days in Strike Force. Jimmy Manua, though, played the role of spoiler and whooped OSP's ass. It was it was nasty. It was a really, really nasty, nasty overhand right to finish it in the second round. At that point, it was pretty much academic with Jimmy Manua swarming all over OSP. Uh, the victory in the record books will be via KO, but it was it was nasty. Really, really nasty stuff from Jimmy Manua. Dude definitely got himself on my radar as a fight fan. Thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. I also wanted to take a moment and acknowledge that UFC's production continues to impress. Uh, The new video that they showed for UFC 205 at Madison Square Garden was beautifully, beautifully done. Uh, The editing, the music, everything about it, the imagery, uh, you know, capturing so much of the iconic stuff from the New York sporting scene, especially Madison Square Garden. Um, I was I was really impressed with what the UFC did there. And it really made me even more excited for the card. That's for sure. Not only as a New Yorker and an MMA fan, but just as someone that sees something that's been fought for for so long finally come to fruition. And to see a lot of a lot of fighters, you know, a few from the from the New York area actually get a chance to showcase their skills in front of a home crowd. Again, uh, that goes down November 12th. Um Vitor and Gegard Mousasi was a, um, you know, I, I've been saying this for quite some time about Vitor being essentially a before and after picture uh, now that he is no longer on TRT and, you know, there's more strict drug testing. I'm not taking anything away from Vitor. Uh, Vitor's an incredible athlete, was a beast in his prime, that's for sure. But I also have to say that even though he was a beast in his prime, and just a, a complete badass dude. People get old, skills change, things change. It happens. You know, we, we're only human. But Gegard Mousasi definitely showed 
that he is on another level, uh, defeating Vitor Belfort via TKO in the second round. And it was, it was crazy. It was a, um, pretty much Gegar Musasi was really working it from a variety of angles. Fight went to the ground. Musasi ended up getting top position, uh, using, uh, he postured up. And at that point, it was just raining bombs on Vitor. And Vitor, of course, was saved by the ref from taking any additional damage. Like I said, Vitor, love him or hate him, the guy is a legend in this sport, goes back to the old, old days of the UFC, has had, you know, some questionable stuff happen, which we all know, and had some really, some really noteworthy moments in his career, but I think he's definitely one of those guys, much like Hendo and the old guard that are, that it would be no shame if he announced he was going to retire because he's definitely winding down. Uh, like I said, great performance by Musasi. Uh, Musasi's another guy, you know, people always talk about Fedor. Musasi's very similar in the sense that he comes out, no emotion, just very, very businesslike in execution, very disciplined. And he he looked it, that's for damn sure, in with his outing against Vitor. Now, Dan Henderson and Michael Bisping were the main event. As many of you know, Dan Henderson said he was going to retire after this fight, win or lose. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of pomp and circumstance going into this fight for Dan Henderson. We're talking about a guy who is a fucking legend. You know, we talk, we throw that word around quite a bit in sports, but Dan Henderson is without a doubt one of the baddest guys walking this planet. Uh, we're talking about a guy that fought in pride, you know, competed in the Olympics. Um, the guy, the guy's a, a machine, you know, the guy is, uh, without a doubt a, you know, when we talk about pioneers in mixed martial arts, Dan Henderson's in that list. Um, Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, uh, Tito Ortiz, Ken Shamrock, Dan Severn, Don Fry, um, Kazuji Sakuraba. There's, um, you know, there's so many guys we can talk about that are just stellar in every aspect of the sport, whether it's from an entertainment standpoint, a technique standpoint, or just an overall contribution to the sport. We can't, we can't look past guys like Dan Henderson, who are just, you know, amazing, amazing athletes. And going into this fight to take on Michael Bisping, there was a lot to consider. Bisping wanted to avenge the highlight reel knockout that Hendo delivered which was, uh, you know, it's a knockout that has been made its way into countless MMA highlights. When we talk about memorable knockouts in the UFC, uh, Dan Henderson pretty much unscrewing Bisping's head with an H-bomb was definitely top in, you know, top five, top 10 in my book. And, you know, Bisping had a lot of pressure going into this fight. Uh, he was fighting in his home, in his home country uh, Hendo, you know, he was trying to obviously get that monkey off his back, defeating one of the greats in the sport. And of course, just being a champion and defending the title and everything that goes with it. A, a lot, a lot was weighing on Michael Bisping. Bisping is another guy that if you look at him, you think, oh, you know, Bisping's a young dude, blah, blah, blah. But Bisping has been around for quite some time. We're talking about a guy that started in the early days of the ultimate fighter. And here we are now in 2016, and he finally, you know, obviously he finally captured some gold. Does does this, you know, say that Bisping is another guy that should retire? I mean, you know, it's questionable, but I got to say this. Dan Henderson put an ass whooping on Michael Bisping. 
no joke. I mean, people talk about it. And, you know, it's one of the things that Hendo said in his interview. He said, if it was a matter of who looks like they've been in a fight and who doesn't, I'd be the clear winner because Bisping was mauled. His face was beat the fuck up. But I understood, you know, when you're a champion and you it goes to the judges, you know how that goes. We've talked about it countless times in various episodes of MTR. And for me personally, I just feel that, you know, we've reached a point where had had Hendo won, I'd be like not shocked. Had he lost, you know, had he lost in devastating fashion, I would also be not shocked. I just feel that for me personally, you know, Hendo was a guy that people looked at and they were like, hey, you know, this old guy, he's coming in. He's only got the H-bomb, blah, blah, blah. The MMA's passing him by, you know, all the usual rhetoric. And I got to say that I disagree. I disagree completely. Is is Hendo ready to retire? Yes, I feel he is. Is he is he way past his prime? Debatable. But at the end of the day, every time Dan Henderson went out there, it didn't matter if it was fighting Shogun or, you know, fighting Bisping or any of these guys, Dan Henderson went out there to entertain and give us something to talk about. And it was always something highlight reel worthy. I mean, we're talking about a guy that that knocked out, you know, pretty much was one of the guy, first guys to defeat Fedor. You know, he's on that list of guys that defeated Fedor right up there with, um, you know, Bigfoot Silva. There, uh, Fabri- I mean, Bigfoot Silva. Fabricio Verdum, not Bigfoot Silva. Get out of here. Uh, Fabricio Verdum, you know, to talk about guys that have been, when we talk about noteworthy opponents, you know, we talk about Fedor and Hendo. We talk about um, Hendo's wars with Shogun. Uh, and you know him and Bisping, him and um, Vitor. There's there's so many great moments for for Hendo's career that you know it would it would probably be a, a completely different show if I spent my time breaking down all those great moments. Now I gotta say, in watching the fight, I watched the fight twice. I did feel, I'm not joking, that Henderson definitely could have won that fight. I mean, definitely in the first round, it was. Strong showing by Henderson, second round as well. It wasn't until maybe the third that Bisping started turning it up a bit, started kind of, you know, finding his groove. But Hendo looked good in those first two rounds. And, you know, Bisping kind of took it from rounds three to five. Depending on who you ask and and how many different people you talk to, they'll say, you know, it was even in the third round. Some people will say that, Hendo took one, two, and three, and Bisping took four and five. Like I said, when you leave it in the hands of the judges, it's um, you know it's it, it's it's a make or break moment for your career. Uh, like I said, I was I was fortunate to to see it. I was fortunate to see a lot of great moments in Hendo's career, and where the future takes him, I don't know. But I got to say that for the time that he had in the UFC, Strike Force, Pride, he never disappointed. So. With that, I got to say, as a fan, thank you to Dan Henderson for giving me so many awesome uh, highlight reel holy shit moments as an MMA fan. Because I'll tell you what, if you go on YouTube and look at some of the best fights Dan Henderson's had or Dan Henderson highlights, you're going to see that there were so, so many dope moments. That's for damn sure. Overall, I felt that UFC 204 was great. I think it was definitely one of, you know, one of the better cards of 2016 
We march forward now towards UFC 205. I believe we got a fight night in between. I got to check my schedule. If I if I missed it, I apologize. I'll I'll touch on it um, the week you know the week after next. And for me, I think that's what we need. We needed one good pay per view to take us into 205 and to round out the rest of the year. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about Ronda Rousey's return in a few minutes, but I I think that you know for for the UK the UK crowd was really good. I was I was impressed with the crowd. The crowd was loud, raucous, exactly what you would expect in the UK. You know, a lot of guys got shown love. Bisping, of course, got huge, huge ovation being the the, the hometown boy. But Hendo Hendo didn't. You know, Hendo got his fair share of cheers also. And I thought you know that was real classy from the UK fans as well. All right, let's jump into the other MMA news of the week, of which there are plenty. That's for damn sure. So. $50,000 bonuses were handed out. Uh, Jimmy Manua took one. Yuri Alcantara took the other. And, of course, fight of the night went to Bisping and Dan Henderson. Um, not shocked. It was it was a stellar fight, even though, like I said, that could have gone either way. But the right fight took fight of the night, in my opinion. That's for that's for sure. I thought Stefan Struve might have got um, a performance bonus for that beautiful Darce choke. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Now... I've been talking about BJ Penn and the UFC card in Manila. Uh, BJ Penn was scheduled to face Ricardo Lamas, withdrew due to injury, and the uh, the replacement opponent was up in the air. Well, uh, according to Jeremy Botter from Flow Sports, it looks like the event is being rescheduled. Now, it's interesting because a couple of different sites, Bleacher Report, MMAFighting.com, a couple of different fights just talked about the event being scrapped and that was it. Um, Jeremy Botter from Flow Sports and a couple of other guys said that one of the bigger problems wasn't so much the fact that BJ Penn wasn't main wasn't there to main event the fight, but that the um, the organizations in Manila wanted to conduct a complete round of drug testing for all UFC employees. Uh, any failures for anything would see the government seize the passports of either UFC employees or fighters. And I think that that was a big red flag for the UFC going in, not to say that anybody would have had any issues, but again, you're going to test everyone, not just, you know, the fighters, but all the staff. So this means that, I don't know, a guy like Joe Rogan, who I don't know how, you know, they view, they view it in the Philippines with regards to marijuana, maybe had a little marijuana in his system, he might get his passport seized if that was a substance that they were, you know, that wasn't approved in the Philippines. Really, really crazy. Um, like I said, it was it was crazy that Jeremy Botter broke that down at Flow Sports. And um, it, for me, I, like I said, the fight, I was looking forward to seeing BJ Penn in there just to see if we got something different since he was working with an actual camp and not with a team of glorified yes men. Unfortunately, that was not the case, and like I said, the card was was scrapped, but if I get any additional news regarding a BJ Penn return, I will share it with you guys. Very interesting fight was put together over the last week or so. It was a fight that kind of got, it was a fight that started picking up steam after his performance against CM Punk, and that is Mickey Gall uh, wanting to take on Sage Northcutt. Now, you know, there was a couple of pieces that floated around that said Sage's dad 
was disputing that Northcutt was going to face off against Mickey Gall. But Mickey Gall is riding a great wave of momentum, whether you love him or hate him, whether you care about his performance against CM Punk. At the end of the day, the guy knows how to market himself. And I got to say, pretty, pretty cool dude. I, I, you know, if you follow the UFC Snapchat, he does the, uh, the fight call with Mickey Gall and very knowledgeable, very appreciative of the sport, um, knows his shit and is an engaging personality. Uh, he's also shown up on um, the Legion of Skanks and uh, a couple of other shows, a couple of different places, Sirius XM. He, he's definitely made the rounds, definitely media savvy, that's for sure. And it, it was announced that Sage Northcutt and Mickey Gall were going to square off at UFC on Fox 22. That is December 17th, and if you're in Sacramento, California, you will be able to check that out at the Golden One Center. This is a big fight for both guys, whether whether you like either guy. Like I said, Mickey Gall trying to gain some traction, riding a wave of momentum after dispatching CM Punk, uh, derailing the Punk hype train. Sage Northcutt, of course, the Messiah, the Super Saiyan uh, of the UFC. And a, a very intriguing fight. I think that, you know, if the fight goes to the ground, I see it definitely favoring Mickey Gall. I think Sage Northcutt has really good stand-up. I think you'll give him a problem on the feet. But I think if the fight goes to the ground, uh, it will definitely go to Mickey Gall. That's for sure. So, as I said at the top of the show, we were going to get into athletic commission hearings. So, uh, Nate Diaz was up for a hearing first. He didn't face any formal disciplinary action for using the vape pen after UFC 202. He is fortunate. Um, the USADA said that, you know, he admitted to using a prohibited substance during the in-competition period and has accepted a public warning <laughs> for his policy violation. Um, the USADA decided not to punish Diaz on the grounds that he mistakenly believed that his in-competition period ended after he provided a post-bout sample to the USADA. In addition, the in-competition urine and blood samples provided by Diaz before were all negative for any prohibited substances. So, you know, Nate Diaz gets a Nate Diaz gets a warning and escapes any problems. But Conor McGregor not so lucky. Uh he was fined $150,000 and I believe he has to also do community service. Yes. Um he made, you know, 3 million dollars for for his fight and um he ends up paying uh, 3% of 3 million, which is 150,000. And he has to do, uh, I had a note, how many hours of community service? I think it's, uh, 60 hours, I want to say. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I believe it is 60 hours of community service and a 3%, um, a 5% of his $3 million purse, which is a fine of $150. Needless to say, McGregor was not happy. And in addition to that, Dana White has said that McGregor has expressed uh, to the UFC that he would no longer like to fight in Las Vegas and deal with the athletic commission. Now, the thing that I got to say is that you, you were throwing water bottles, you were acting a fool, and it could have been worse. 150000 uh, 150, you made $3 million. You guys... Should have you shouldn't have carried on the way you did, and you were lucky. The punishment could have been more severe. Is it right? Is it wrong? 
No, but you also have to remember they're throwing bottles around. There's people there. The general public are there. Somebody could have got hit, could have got injured. Um, something could have, something more serious could have happened. It could have escalated. None of it, none of it was the right thing to do. And the fine, again, 150 grand could have been worse. Could have been 250, 500,000, even a million. So for him to be fined just $150,000 at this stage of the game for a guy like McGregor, it's a drop in the bucket. And I'm sure he will keep some of his more fiery, fiery tendencies under wraps you want to talk trash you want to drop the f-bomb hooray you know go for it but throwing shit and turning turning things into a bit into basically a melee you can't you can't do that man commissions do not like that plus it just paints the sport in a poor light you know i've talked about this on numerous episodes even though the ufc and mma in general are continuing to gain traction here in the states there's still a lot of people that view it as a barbaric sport that are always waiting for the proverbial other shoe to drop. And this is one of those instances where, again, you you got to conduct yourselves accordingly, not just for your own careers, but how the sport itself is perceived. You want to be a showman, you want to be crazy, that's great. But when it comes to where you're capable of harming somebody unintentionally, it's it's a big problem. You cannot do that shit. That's for sure. So McGregor's on the hook for one hundred and. $50,000 plus. Like I said, he's got to do some community service. I believe it is 60 hours. Don't quote me on that. I will definitely um, get the accurate uh, notes for that and put it in the show notes for those of you that are curious. On the Bellator side of things, Bellator 168 is uh, getting a very, very solid main event. Rafael Carvajal is going to be defending his middleweight title against Melvin Manoff. I'm, I'm a big fan of Melvin Guy's a machine, uh, goes out on his shield, man. I talk about it all the time. He's exciting to watch, but just as exciting as it, as it is to watch him finish fights, he sometimes ends up losing them in highlight real fashion, but still very, very exciting fight. There's definitely going to be fireworks there. And who knows, maybe a title run in his future. Bellator 168 goes down in December in Italy, and it is going to be a combination MMA and kickboxing event on spike tv so mark it down on your calendars if you are a bellator fan december 10th florence italy now as a fan i was really excited when this rumor started to take shape and it was the possibility of gsp returning to the octagon and fighting anderson silva now whether you love either guy whether either either fight you know whether you're of the camp that the fight should have happened five years ago whatever the case may be i have to say that even if these guys come in now and fight, people will tune in. You're talking about two of the greatest mixed martial artists of our generation. And again, whether you love either guy, you hate either guy, the implications, the the mainstream exposure, everything about it is too huge to not want to do. In any case, um, Dana White put the kibosh on that. The story picked up steam from a couple of different sources um, Anderson Silva's son being one, and obviously that he he put something on social media that kind of alluded to the fight happening. And of course, Dana White said it wasn't. Uh, he did an interview with BT Sport where he not only shut down the rumor, but again continued to throw salt in in the GSP wound, so to speak. He said, and I quote, "That's not true. So not true. I know everybody keeps talking about about it, 
GSP isn't even close. I'm telling you again, I don't think GSP wants to fight. I keep saying this. You guys know fighters as much as I know fighters. Do you think GSP wants to fight? GSP wasn't crazy about fighting when he was fighting. Now, three years later, he's just dying to fight. He's not. I don't think he is. That fight is definitely not going to happen. I don't think GSP ever returns. And in some cases, that's not a bad thing. The guy retired. He went out on top. He looked at he's looked at as one of the greatest to ever do it. And I just think he lost that fire a long time ago. For some reason, he's got his own personal reasons. He likes to keep his name out there like he might be coming back and everybody's anticipating his return. But at the end of the day, I don't think he wants it. You know, it's uh, it's another interesting chapter in the war between GSP, Dana White and the UFC as a whole. Um, you know, Dana White is is very fickle. And that's one of those things where one minute it's GSP is the greatest. Another minute is that ah, GSP is a fucking bitch. I think we're going to see that fight. Maybe the UFC wanted to build it up and, and break the news as something historic, but I can, I cannot sit here and say that we will not see that fight. It's too much at stake, too much money on the table. And like I said, whether you think either guy's past his prime or whatever the case may be, the fact is it is still a marquee match. Any way you slice it, Dana White is going to continue to be Dana White. I'd expect nothing less, but um, keep it locked to Rageworks and MTR if any more news on that develops. But I feel pretty, 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 pretty strongly, I got to say that we are going to get that fight. Maybe not in 2016, but maybe 2017. That's for sure. All right. So a couple of things I did want to mention. Um, This this fight is crazy. And it's on Spike TV for Bellator 165. You got Michael Chandler taking on Benson Henderson. Super awesome, super awesome card on paper. Uh, Michael Venom Page back in there taking on Fernando Gonzalez, Linton Vassell, Francis Carmont, and Adam Piccolotti taking on Brandon Gertz. Uh, Spike TV, November 19th. I think that's going to be a solid card, a sleeper card. Uh, just the co-main and the main event alone with Benson Henderson possibly becoming lightweight champion um, if he gets past Michael Chandler. Plus, who knows, we may get another highlight reel knockout from Michael Venom Page. Again, that card, November 19th on Spike TV. And of course, UFC 205 goes down November 12th. That card is pretty much final. Main event, Eddie Alvarez putting his lightweight title up against Conor McGregor. Co-main, Tyron Woodley, Stephen Thompson, Stephen Thompson, depending on, on how you read it. Steven Wonderboy Thompson for the welterweight strap. Uh, JJ taking on Carolina Kowalskowicz for the women's strawweight title. Yoel Romero, Chris Weidman, New York being represented. Donald Cerrone, Kelvin Gastelum. And the opener for the pay-per-view will be Raquel Pennington taking on Misha Tate. The prelims are pretty solid too. Frankie Edgar, Jeremy Stevens is going to main event the prelims. Michael Johnson, Khabib Nurmagomedov is going to... Uh, be the co-main event on the prelims. Plus, we got Rashad Evans, Tim Kennedy, Tim Bosch, Rafael Natal, Tiago Alves taking on Jim Miller, Lyman Good, Bilal Muhammad, and Liz Carmouche taking on Catlin Chukagian. I, I'm probably killing that poor lady's name. I apologize. Nonetheless, 205, November 12th, Bellator 165 on the 19th. Uh, really, really crazy stuff. 
Got an update for you this week on the Jose Aldo saga. Looks like he will be meeting with the UFC on October 19th to quote-unquote solve everything, according to an interview he gave recently to MMAfighting.com. Curious to see how it pans out. I kind of feel that the UFC may try and make uh, make amends, maybe give him the title fight with McGregor after the Alvarez fight. Maybe. We may get that. Or he may get his walking papers either via retirement or being released from his contract. But all eyes are going to be on October 19th to see if Jose Aldo will remain in the UFC or if he will be searching for new opportunities elsewhere. Very interesting. I'm going to be watching that because that could go either way. And any any organization that picks up Jose Aldo is going to get one of the best pound-for-pound fighters on the planet, period. And who knows? He'll probably get what he wants monetarily because, again, he's currently the interim champ. And he still he still has name recognition. Like I said, do I feel that he draws as well in the States as he does in Brazil? No. But... Any organization that gets him is going to get a guy that's going to go out there and give you some really, really stellar performances. That's for damn sure. Anyway, as I mentioned earlier, Ronda Rousey is back. If you guys saw on RageWorks.net earlier today, I posted the announcement that Ronda Rousey will be back UFC 207 final card of 2016 on December 30th, taking on Amanda Nunes for the Women's Bantamweight Championship. Of course, Ronda coming back after a substantially long layoff being dethroned by Holly Holm in highlight reel fashion. Holly Holm went on to lose to Misha Tate and Misha Tate went on to lose to Amanda Nunes. So with that said, many people are very vocal about the fact that Ronda's coming back and challenging for the title. But let's also be realistic. Amanda Nunes is a very, very dominant, dominant striker. Her BJJ game is solid from what's been said. And honestly, do we need to see her and Holly Holm? Maybe. Misha Tate getting a rematch can't happen because she is fighting Raquel Pennington on the um, 205 card. So what are you going to do? Now, there's a couple of ways this could have gone. Misha Tate and Raquel Pennington, the winner, could have gone on to fight Ronda Rousey. And the winner of that fight would fight Amanda Nunes. But... Obviously, they wanted to get Ronda in last card of 2016 during, obviously, the holidays. You want to get something big. And I'm sure that if all goes according to plan, we may see Ronda back in there either fighting Chris Cyborg in a super fight or defending the belt should she win against the winner of Pennington Tate. Either way, fans are going to win. Ronda's back in the mix, and it's going to make things very, very interesting. Because obviously, when the Ronda Rousey Circus pulls into town, you're going to get a different era, a a different level of craziness. Obviously, you're going to have all the stuff with with her and Travis Brown that people are going to talk about. Um, She's going to turn up the trash talking if her and Amanda Nunes uh, have any good exchanges. It's going to get crazy. It is definitely going to get crazy. And obviously, a lot of the female fighters are not happy that Ronda's coming back challenging for the belt. Uh, Juliana Pena, uh, not happy, not happy um, going as far as saying that she may be seeking um, a release from her UFC contract that she felt she had um, an opportunity to challenge for the title. Do I disagree? No. But again, and I've said this before, from a business standpoint, from getting asses in seats, 
Ronda still does it. Even if she lost, Ronda gets people interested. Mainstream appeal, crossover appeal, capable of turning up the trash talking when necessary. Plus, she does have the tools to to win a fight in highlight real fashion, especially on the ground. Standing, she's got no shot. Hate to say it, but it's true. No shot standing. On the ground, maybe. Standing, definitely not. Amanda Nunes will definitely take her lunch if the fight is standing. On the ground, like I said, Ronda definitely has a pretty fair advantage depending on Amanda Nunes' ground game, which I hear is pretty good. Nonetheless, mark it down on your calendars, folks. UFC 207, December 30th for that. So, fitting that we close out MMA with a little bit of wrestling. Uh, Alberto Del Rio, a.k.a. Alberto El Patron, a.k.a. Uh, Mexico's greatest export, according to JBL, is now officially the president of Combate Americas MMA. Uh, the MMA sports franchise announced that the WWE star and MMA fighter will be serving as president of the company. And for those of you that hear Alberto Del Rio and MMA in the same sentence, he did fight. Mixed with, he did fight in Pride taking on Mirko Krokop. You can look that up on YouTube. He did fight, even though it was under a mask. He did fight Mirko Krokop. And I believe he had a couple of other MMA fights under his belt. Um, I think Alberto Del Rio is going to not only be a welcome addition to this new promotion, but I think it's also going to help MMA in Latino countries. Um, I think that for me, being Hispanic, I think that MMA is one of those things where it's it's obviously going to be popular, but when you talk to anyone, any Latino, any Hispanic person, they're always going to talk boxing first, and of course they should. Sweet science, you know, one of uh, you know a, a classic combat sport that has been tremendously successful in various Latin countries. You got you know incredible boxing talent out of Mexico, uh, Puerto Rico. Um, you know, you also got great boxing coming out of Europe. There's, there's always standout performers of Latino descent in boxing. And for Alberto Del Rio, whether you love the guy or you hate the guy to start running an MMA organization, it's going to open up some very interesting opportunities. Obviously, Del Rio being a legend in Mexico is going to allow uh, this promotion to go into Mexico and start scouting uh, potential the next potential MMA star out of Mexico. I think that the UFC was doing that with the Ultimate Fighter Latin America, but personally, you're you're taking it, you're airing it on Fight Pass. You're not airing it on any sort of Hispanic programming, whether it's Telemundo, uh, Channel Forty One, which is Univision. There, you're not doing that. You're not trying to grab that audience you know, where they're, where they're at. You're just, oh, we're going to put it on Fight Pass, but we're going to have Latino fighters. That's great. But you're not, you're not grabbing that audience. One of the things that was always impressive to me was the fact that when you watched boxing or you watched MMA, you always had an opportunity to watch it in Spanish and to watch it on free TV, especially lately with the UFC. But 
if you used to go late night on Channel 41 or Channel 47 here in New York, in New York, you'd you'd see boxing, or and you'd see some pretty some pretty impressive boxing highlights. You'd also see dedicated uh, programming, you know, for boxing. I mean, when uh, Felix Trinidad Tito Trinidad was you know at the top of his game, there was a huge amount of you know television with with him involved. Obviously, there was. You know, plenty of training stuff, interviews, et cetera, et cetera. Miguel Cotto, you know, here in New York and in Puerto Rico, same thing. Just just crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, my boxing knowledge isn't as, you know, as concrete as my MMA knowledge, but I, I know some stuff. I've seen some, some stuff. I mean, when I was younger, you know, I was always a big fan of watching Muhammad Ali fight and how he approached the fight game. I've said that before. Uh, but I do remember, I remember uh, Trinidad taking on Bernard Hopkins, uh, Bernard Hopkins taking the Puerto Rican flag, throwing it on the floor. There was a fucking riot almost. It was crazy. I remember that because it was on, uh, I believe it was on channel 41 or 47 that my grandmother had on. And she's like, oh, look at this fucking guy. He takes the Puerto Rican flag, throws it on the floor. That's a, a completely different, uh, a different conversation for another show. But needless to say, everybody was invested. And, you know, when Miguel Cotto fought at MSG, you just see, the an ocean of Puerto Rican flags. It was it was crazy. And again, I'm only citing uh Puerto Rican fight fans because I'm Puerto Rican. But any any Mexican fighters, if you see them fight, whether it's on HBO, Showtime, whatever the case may be, huge Mexican contingent out there. Um it's it's crazy. And I think that Del Rio venturing into this, like I said, whether you love him or hate him, is going to make things very, very, very interesting. Now Combate America will have its first MMA event here in New York on October 14th. Uh, Combate America's Empire's Ri- Empire Rising will have seven fights and will have the first championship fight for the bantamweight title between John Castaneda and Gustavo Lopez. Uh, Alberto Del Rio has been doing press, hyping up the promotion and the event, um, you know, it's uh it's crazy. Uh shout out to the fight nerd uh Matt K who actually got to interview Del Rio and Page during a press conference for Combate Americas. Uh look for that on social media. I'm sure you'll find it. But um I'm curious. I'm curious to see what this promotion's capable of and what Del Rio brings to the table. David in the chat says the one Tito fight you remember is the one where he got washed. Damn. But that's that's what it is, you know. David, I'm going to be I'm going to be honest, you know. I was never like I said, my my stuff, my boxing knowledge is more mainstream. You know, I saw a couple of Tyson fights. Um, you know, I I've seen some of them, some of those growing up. Obviously, people would turn it on or somebody would have a black box and the fight would be on and you watch it. Like I said, Trinidad saw his fights. Uh, Muhammad Ali saw his Prince Nassim Hamed can never forget that guy. That guy was a fucking psycho. Um, I was actually a fan of watching that guy fight cause he was a good showman. Um, Roy Jones jr. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya, of course, you know, again, more mainstream stuff. I would, I would see on my television or see wherever I was. I mean, my grandmother used to always have it playing. Uh, if she had certain, some things on, or if we went somewhere, There'd always be somebody with a black box with a black box cable with a switch on the back to turn it on for the pay-per-views and the boxing matches. So that was pretty much my my induction into 
uh, boxing. It obviously didn't grow as much as MMA did, but you know, I, I've seen, you know, Jimbo slice has done a good job putting me onto to certain fighters, uh, you know, triple G, which I've seen a couple of his fights courtesy of Jimbo slice. Definitely a guy that, Holy shit, man. That guy is, is, is a, is a, is a fucking killer. That guy is a legit killer. And it's funny because you look at him and, you know, I, I was saying to Jimbo Slice, you know, you look at him like you look at Fedor, you know, just a regular casual guy doesn't look, you know, doesn't look too, too impressive at a glance. And I'm talking about, you know, if you see the guy, he's walking down the street in like a polo shirt and jeans, regular looking dude. But when that motherfucker hits you, he is caving in your face. And, um, you know, that's definitely one thing I learned from, you know, seeing, seeing that guy perform. And it's funny because the MMA fan in me says, you know, what would a guy like, how would a guy like that fare in, in my sport? And again, it's one of those woulda, coulda, shouldas where we talk about it all the time, where what MMA guy would transition well to pro wrestling or et cetera, et cetera. In terms of boxing, I'd, I'd love to see that. You see a guy like Triple G who pretty much decimates guys with big boxing gloves. How, how dangerous would he be with a, with a set of four ounce gloves bashing somebody's face in? You never know. But, um, curious. Like I said, I'm curious to see what Del Rio does and we'll be monitoring that closely. Um, you know, if the show goes down on the 14th here in New York, uh, we'll, we'll see if we can, we can get some newsworthy items out of there on the 14th since it's at the garden. We'll see what happens. Keep it locked to MTR and Rageworks for that. All right. That last bit of news is actually going to close out the MMA for this week's episode. Uh, We're going to switch gears and jump into some wrestling because lots to cover. Let's get to it. All right, so this past Sunday, we had WWE No Mercy. Um, going into this card, I found out, I believe it was late Saturday night, early Sunday. Oh, look at that. Blog Talk Radio dropped out. Good times. Hold on a second, guys, while I dial back into the fucking switchboard. Since it appears you're calling back into a live show, we are reconnecting you now. There we go. Wouldn't be a, a live episode of MTR without Blog Talk Radio shitting the bed. But we're back. Anyway, as I was saying before, we were rudely interrupted by BTR's disconnection. Um, no Mercy was solid. I mean, the only problem was obviously the Becky Lynch injury, which uh, was a big bummer, obviously derailing uh, the women's title match for the pay-per-view. But I got to say that either way, it was still unenjoyable, enjoyable card. I'm going to go through it. My likes, my dislikes, etc. Matches that were bad, as I like to say, the bugs. The, we got to start with the bad. Nikki Bella and Carmella. I got to say, Carmella, not ready. Definitely not. Needs a lot of work. And Nikki Bella, for as much as she's improved, is not capable of carrying a match. I've said this before, and I will say it again. Nikki Bella cannot carry a match. She can wrestle a decent match, but she is in no position to carry a match zero donut definitely bad um i gotta say naomi and alexa bliss's match ugly an ugly match 
And again, it's because Naomi, better performer than Alexa Bliss. Not that Alexa Bliss is terrible, but just a, a, a complete, complete contrast in styles that just didn't mesh well together. Definitely both on the bad list. Ugly. Baron Corbin, Jack Swagger. What an ugly, ugly, ugly fucking match. Ugly. I get it. You want to get Biff Tannen over, a.k.a. Jack Swagger. I get it. You want to get Baron Corbin over. But neither one of those guys are in a position where anybody gives a shit. Like, I can understand you're trying to build up Baron Corbin, but you just got Luke Harper on SmackDown, and he's he's a more complete big man, you know, complete wrestler as a big guy than Baron Corbin. I mean, even Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton's match was kind of ugly, too, I got to say. And that was because, again, that, that difference in styles just did not mesh well together. I appreciated the work that went into it, that they were trying to to create this, um, you know, psychological warfare going into this match. But the match itself was complete, complete bullshit. I'm sorry. And again, Bray Wyatt winning, you, you needed to. Randy Orton didn't need the win. Bray Wyatt needed the win. And now that we've gotten, we've got past Randy Orton, can we start looking at Bray Wyatt possibly either in some mid-card title contention or at minimum challenging for the big belt? I understand you want to create something compelling with AJ and Dean Ambrose or with Dolph and The Miz, but Bray Wyatt's about as good a guy as any to be mixing it up in either the upper mid-card or the main event scene, period. Going in there and putting on these fucking, you know, paint-by-numbers matches with Randy Orton is doing no one any favors. Not Randy, and definitely not fucking Bray Wyatt. It was, it was, it was ridiculous. It really was. Now, we, let's talk about some good stuff. The kickoff match with the Hype Bros and American Alpha taking on the Ascension and the Vaude Villains was a good match. A lot of good chemistry, a lot of great storytelling. Hype Bros, as much as I dislike Mojo, the Hype Bros are definitely over. American Alpha are super over. And the Vaude Villains, they're they're a solid team and the Ascension are the Ascension. <laughs> you know it is what it is. They were um it was a good match, a lot of really great, a lot of really great tag team wrestling shows that the the SmackDown brand has some good stuff going on there. And it was a great opener. The opening with the championship match definitely made me think that Dolph Ziggler was going to lose. And that's why they wanted to give them the main event to close things out and send people home happy. But um, championship match was fucking stellar. Amazing, amazing work from all the participants. Uh, Dean Ambrose definitely at times looked a little lost out there. And I just feel that his his lunatic lariat just looks really shitty now. Not as cool as it was when he started doing it. Um, you know, it's pretty much just become one of his five moves of doom. But AJ and John Cena, holy shit, they really mixed it up well. Uh, continues to show that SmackDown is getting some really viable wrestling talent that can entertain and wrestle. And AJ definitely delivered in that match. Uh, the SmackDown Tag Team titles were defended. Of course, Beauty and the Man Beast, Heath Slater, and Rhino took on the Busos. That's what I'm going to call the Usos from now on since they're villains. Um, 
in a really good match. And I got to say, I was shocked, super, super shocked that they didn't drop the belts to the Usos right now. Really, really blown away. I said, up, oh, we're going to get new champions. And not because I don't like Heath Slater and Rhino. I think they're they're fun. They got the crowd into it. It's great. But I just I thought that this was going to be it for the Usos to get them back in in the hunt and get them, you know, on the top of the tag team on the top of the tag team division. But I guess they see something more in Beauty and the Man Beast. And um, who knows? I mean, it's it's inevitable that American Alpha and the Usos will collide for the titles at some point. But maybe they're going to do a slow burn. In any case, the uh, the tag team match was really good. Um, it's always weird how Heath Slater pretty much gets his ass whooped. Rhino comes in and saves him. And I'm sure that's going to be a point of, of, you know, discord with them when it comes time to break them up because I see it happening. I see Rhino saying that, you know, Heath Slater doesn't do shit and he has to do everything and fuck you. You get the gore and that's it. I see it happening. I really do. Um, David says the one time people want a title hot shotted, they don't pull the trigger. This is true. This is very, very true. Cause I said, I'm like, I even said it, you know, the, the MTR before I said it's going to happen. Cause I just felt that they were going to put on the Usos, build the Usos up and then them and American Alpha would square off maybe at Survivor Series. Cause that's a nice big pay-per-view for that. And that would be it. Eh, guess not. I was wrong. <laughs> Um, let's talk career versus title. I got to tell you, high drama from bell to bell. Not only was it high drama, but it it, it made you wonder. It's like, is Ziggler going to do the, is, Zig, is Ziggler going to get, um, is he going to eat the pinfall and join the front office? Like everybody was saying, is this it, you know? And a lot of great stuff went into building this match. You know, the spirit squad, uh, Maurice's involvement, all the crazy near falls, all the great storytelling. It was perfectly, perfectly executed. And while it would have done amazing things for the Miz as a heel, for Dolph Ziggler to lose and retire, the the crowd reaction when Miz when when Miz got pinned by Ziggler was tremendous. But like I've said before, all right. You put the IC title on the mid, on uh, Dolph Ziggler. What now? Because this is what always happens. You give Dolph Ziggler this amazing moment, this amazing shot, and then you shit the bed with him. It has happened time and time and time and time again to where people have become accustomed to Dolph Ziggler being a quote-unquote transitional champion. Either holding it for a short time to put another guy over or just being the guy that they put it on as a last resort. And that I don't I feel that Ziggler is still a great addition to the roster. I think like I and I've said this before you you know in the old days you had the SmackDown 6 and you'd build around those guys. You can do that. Right now you have Ambrose, AJ Styles, John Cena, The Miz, Dolph Ziggler. You already got 5 capable wrestlers to build SmackDown around. You do. Love it or not, you do. And like David just said, the crowd has always loved Dolph. It is the company that fucks it up. And I am 1,000% in agreement. But I got to say, 
it was not only an amazing match, but again, like I've said before, a career-defining match for these guys. Because like I said, wrestler, you know, good wrestlers are defined by their opponents. Because when those guys get in there, they create magic. And I saw that. I saw that in this match. There was so much at stake. Such a great story. And it helps that these guys are friends behind the scenes. You know, they know, they know how to work the matches. They know how to, how to, you know, emphasize each other's strengths. And it paid off. It was really, really good. The storytelling was good. Everything that went into that match was running on all cylinders. And it really, like I said, I was, I, me and me and my wife were watching. And we're like, holy shit, is this it? Because, like I said, WWE did a good job of getting everybody invested in thinking that this was the end for Dolph Ziggler. From, you know, all the different websites talking about possible front office opportunities for Dolph, which sometimes I say that WWE leaks that shit out on purpose just to generate a buzz. There was there was a lot going in, and I felt that they did a good job, man. SmackDown knocked it out of the park. Well, I'll say this. Uh... They didn't knock it out of the park. They hit a uh, a triple. They definitely did a good job with it. Like I said, there were some 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 blemishes. That Nikki Bella Carmella match, oof, and the and the Corbin Jack Swagger, ugh. But um, Naomi and Alexa Bliss and Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton were just you know poor poor match poor matchmaking. Um, that's it. Like you know, some people mesh really well together. Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton definitely don't. And Naomi and Alexa Bliss definitely don't. And I think that's partially because, you know, Naomi's super athletic and Alexa Bliss is super athletic, but she's a smaller performer. So it essentially looks like Naomi's just ragdolling her the entire time. But nonetheless, like I said, No Mercy was solid. Now, let us switch gears and go into the craziness of Raw. There were a lot of good moments on Raw. A lot of good moments. Jericho and Kevin Owens, every fucking week, those guys every week and the new day crushing it every week um kofi kingston and cesaro obviously we're going to continue building up the dysfunctional tag team and i'm telling you guys right now cesaro and sheamus will beat the new day i'm telling you cesaro and sheamus are going to beat the new day even if it's briefly they are going to win and the reason is because they want to you know they're not going to pair these two together and not have them win the titles it's happening, folks. We had a, uh, a Bailey squash match, which obviously the payoff was an attack from Dana Brooke because we're building up the Dana Brooke Bailey program. Whatever. Not terrible. Um, Sin Cara heads to the Cruiserweight division. It's about fucking time. Can we just get Kalisto there to finish it? Because seriously. But in any case, uh, Lince Dorado and Sin Cara took on Drew Gulak and Tony Nice. In a really, really good cruiserweight tag match, like the the duo of Gulak and Nice, who are also in the Dusty Rhodes Classic, uh, Lince Dorado and Sin Cara definitely impressed. The crowd was invested. It was dope on all cylinders. Uh, Drew Gulak, we interviewed him on My Take Radio. You can look it up um, on the site and probably find that original interview. Really cool dude, super smart and a grinder. Uh, knows how to go out there. And put together some hard hitting matches. If you're if you're a fan of of guys like Daniel Bryan, Chris Benoit, you know the technicians, the hard hitters, um, Drew Gulak, definitely a guy to keep your eye on, and a really really good match. Um, Sami Zayn and Neville ended up taking on Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel. Uh, it was originally going to be 
um, you know, Enzo and Kaz, but that didn't happen courtesy of Gallows and Anderson. But nonetheless, uh, Sami Zayn and Neville had a really good match. I like the pairing of Zayn and Neville. Neville needs to go to the cruiserweight division. Needs to happen. Come on. How awesome would Neville and TJ Perkins be in a match? Or Neville and the real Brian Kendrick? Holy shit. Just those two matches alone would be worth watching. Or uh, Rich Swan and, and Neville. Just just crazy, crazy stuff. They got to cut the shit and let Neville go to the Cruiserweight division and stop playing. <sighs> but it's not, all, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. R-Truth, Titus O'Neil, fuck that match. God, was it bad. Really, really bad. I, uh, I was laughing with uh, Braun Strowman taking on the Splash Bros. Uh, obviously, you got to do the local references. <sighs> I understand what you're doing with Strowman, but they definitely were a lot of subtle jabs at Ryback. Obviously, taking on the two wrestlers, calling Braun Strowman the big guy. Um, there, was, there, was <laughs> there was definitely a lot of subtle jabs at Ryback or not so subtle. Um, I'm curious to see what happens next week. Who steps up to face Braun Strowman, the big show, you know, the usual, any Mark Henry, any of the usual guys, or are we, are we going to get somebody that's going to go in there and mix it up? I mean, I definitely saw a better assortment of moves from Braun Strowman this time around. Was it, you know, was it amazing? No, but I think it's definitely a little bit better than most of the big man offense that we've seen on television over the last few years, but We'll see what happens. I'm not totally writing off Braun Strowman. I think there's potential there. It's just a matter of execution that makes it, you know, something worth watching. David says, I don't see it with Neville. You know what the problem is with Neville? Neville is in that old Kofi Kingston situation. Super agile, super athletic, amazing moveset. Can't talk on the mic. It's his problem. Can't talk. Kofi obviously has become better, but Neville now, him, Cesaro, they're in that, they're in that, Hey, these guys can wrestle their asses off, but their mic work is is abysmal. Not so much Cesaro, but Neville Neville's definitely not that great on the mic. But I can understand where you're coming from with that because I've seen people say that too. Like, yeah, you know, the guy has a really cool finisher and a cool look. That's it. But sometimes that's all you need, man. That is all you need. Roman Reigns and Sasha Banks took on Charlotte and Rusev after... A very, very interesting promo that started Raw uh, from Rusev calling Charlotte the Black Swan to, to um, Lana getting knocked on her ass to Rusev getting <laughs> getting kicked out of the ring. There was a lot of really great moments there. I don't know what's going on with Sasha Banks' hairline. I'm sorry to say it. I was, um, I've been on the, on the ropes about a column that I'd like to do on Rageworks uh, just focusing on kind of like a, a brain dump. Where, you know, I watch Raw or SmackDown and I just write bullets like top 10, you know, top 10 train of thought happenings, you know, where I could just share them. And again, nothing crazy, just casual observations like what's going on with Sasha Banks' hairline? Why does, you know, why does Rusev all of a sudden look like Bulgarian Wolverine? Why, why, why does Lana, why, you know, why is Lana in the ring with such high shoes if she's going to get pushed on her ass and can hurt her ankle, (laughs) you know? What exactly is Jericho really writing on that clipboard? Which, by the way, somebody did share a photo of Chris Jericho's actual clipboard, and it was pretty funny. Uh, you know, things like that. But you never know. It may still happen. But 
Roman Reigns and Sasha defeated Charlotte and Rusev. Um, really good match. I thought that they did a good job pairing Roman with Sasha to get the, uh, the obligatory face reaction, which was fine. Had no problem with it. Um, I gotta say, Roman jumping over, uh, Charlotte and Sasha whilst, you know, Charlotte was in the, uh, the bank statement to spear, um, Rusev was a nice little spot. Match was fine. Every, the crowd was into it, which is all that mattered. But, um, they're really, they're really hype. They're really high on Sasha Banks, which I think is good. Um, it takes away what I've said before about WWE when it comes to minorities. Uh, Sasha Banks being there and in a prominent position as a performer is a step in the right direction. Uh, Charlotte is a textbook perfect heel. And of course, waiting in the wings is the inevitable, uh, Sasha Banks and Bailey match, which if you've seen them mix it up on NXT, you know these ladies of ca- are capable of delivering something special. That's for sure. TJ Perkins took on Aria Davari in a non-title match. Uh, good to see uh, Davari's brother, Sean Davari, um, his brother Aria being showcased. I just was annoyed with the usual. All right, the guy is from Iran. So you got to send him out with the, with, the, with the scarf on his head and have him speak Arabic. I understand you want to have the guy get booed, but you could just as easily have him get booed by doing heelish tactics. I fucking can't stand it. I say it all the time. Stop relying on the easy shit. Oh, this guy's from a foreign country. He's from the Middle East. It'll be easy. Speak Arabic. Everyone will hate you. I understand it's the easy thing to do and you want to kind of create that that heel and face dynamic, but why can't he just be a cruiserweight? How about that? Why can't he just be a cruiserweight? You know, we got to show the video package. He's speaking Arabic and, you know, he's got the uh, the kefia scar. Oh, it's just, I, I'm not a fan. I understand. I understand what they're doing, but it's such a fucking easy way out. Such a crutch. But, Aside from that, I thought TJ Perkins looked good in that match. I thought that Davari was a good opponent, but it wasn't TJ Perkins' best outing, and I've said this before. I feel that WWE has slowed down the cruiserweights substantially, and I've said this before, because if you watch how these guys wrestled on the Cruiserweight Classic, and then you see how they wrestle on Raw, it is completely different. And a lot of people are saying it's because during the Cruiserweight Classic, Vince wasn't involved. And now on Raw, Vince is involved quite a bit. So there's, you know, that's why they were, they're not talking about the weight limits as much in the cruiserweight division. Um, Sinkara, definitely one of the bigger cruiserweights is in that division and they haven't really acknowledged it. They also announced that Brian Kendrick was weighing in, I think at 170 pounds when, you know, for the cruiserweight classic, they were saying he weighed like 150, you know, little things like that. Like, they're, they're, they're acknowledging the cruiserweights, but they're not sticking to a lot of the stuff that was established during the cruiserweight classic. You know, I like the handshake. I like the stuff that they're doing. I like that they're trying to create this narrative of heels and faces, which is fine, but I just don't like some of the laziness. And again, the cruiserweights are supposed to be something that you're showcasing on your flagship show. Let these guys open up. Let these guys do what they did during the cruiserweight classic. Don't worry. Plenty of people are still are still going to cheer Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins and Chris Jericho, but let the cruiserweights go out there and do their thing. Stop trying to make it punch, kick, punch, kick with a couple of spots for good measure. Let the cruiserweights be cruiserweights. 
And I've noticed it more with TJ Perkins the last couple of months that, I mean, the last couple of weeks that it's just like every time he goes out there, we don't see a lot of the special stuff that made him, you know, that put him on people's radar. And again, don't get me wrong. He is a mixed, uh, you know, a mixed wrestler that he does aerial and submission wrestling. I got it. But to, so, you know, Drew Gulak is a ground-based technician, but he gets in there with Tony Nese, and Tony Nese makes it look like a cruiserweight match. I understand you want to try and showcase that it's not just all high-flying, but when you make the shit move at molasses-level speed, you're going to lose people. The same people that are talking about the Cruiserweight Classic and saw all the matches and thought that it was amazing are the same people that you are alienating by not letting these guys open up and be who they were during that event. Period. Simple as that. Seth Rollins took on Chris Jericho in a pretty solid match. I like the added stipulation that if Jericho won, uh, he'd be inserted into the match with Kevin Owens at Hell in the Cell. I thought that was a nice twist. I really was... I didn't know what to say about Mick Foley's fucking flannel suit, which was ridiculous. Um, I like I like Stephanie's kind of quasi-face uh, promo work that she was throwing out there. It was pretty good. Overall, Raw was decent. It had a couple of low spots. Like I said, that R-Truth Titus O'Neil match was fucking terrible. I mean, R-Truth is R-Truth, and it's fine. But Titus O'Neil, I hate to tell you, does not work as a singles competitor they've tried they've tried it on four different occasions it doesn't work like i've said you want to do something make the the new day a four a four person stable that way you have a main eventer a mid carter and a tag team titus o'neill mixing it up with the new day would work and it's not the easy oh because he's black it's because Titus O'Neil working off of somebody else is more entertaining than Titus O'Neil by himself. And they're already trying to make Darren Young great. And you notice that we haven't even seen Darren Young lately because no one gives a shit. But I I think if you put Titus O'Neil in the New Day, you would have Big E as your main eventer because he's definitely main eventer caliber. Titus O'Neil would be your IC title, US title guy. And then Kofi and Xavier Woods would be the guys that would chase for the be- that would chase for the tag team titles. Simple as that. Or if you want to do it differently, Big E and Titus O'Neil in a tag team, Xavier Woods for your mid card, Kofi for your main event slot, because Kofi's a veteran. You know, give Kofi a little love. But either way, I always feel four four person stables are crucial for shit like that. But no, we just want to have Titus O'Neil go out there and fucking wrestle our truth which by the way as much as i hate our truths you know shucking and jiving that he does i actually appreciated his little payday commercial placement with chris jericho it was, it was a funny little exchange a funny way to get the product out there forced as fuck but it got a genuine chuckle out of me that's for sure in any case raw was solid it wasn't terrible it wasn't bad it was it was solid Couple of blemishes, but solid. Anyway, let us talk SmackDown. SmackDown, ugh. Naomi and Carmella, again, terrible, 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 terrible. Um, Dolph Ziggler taking on the Spirit Squad. We knew this was going to happen. I'm curious to see if the Spirit Squad are going to stay 
as a permanent fixture on SmackDown or if they're just going to be tied to the whole Dolph Ziggler program. Obviously, Jimmy Uso, Chad Gable, we know we're going to see shit like that because, obviously, the inevitable collision course. I appreciated James Ellsworth defeating AJ Styles. Now, people were like, oh, you know, way to make AJ look like a bitch. We know where this is going. I get it. And James Ellsworth is dead next week. But um, it's funny because, you know, the guy the guy was he, he's kind of developed his own following, kind of like the old Brooklyn brawler, Barry Horowitz type of a fan base. It, w- it was funny, man. Just I understand it from a long game perspective and it amused the shit out of me why they did that. Um, it wasn't terrible. Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper. Glad to see those guys back together. I've always said Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper can make a run at the tag team titles. Bray Wyatt can manage Luke Harper. You can do a, a, a bunch of different combinations and and pretty much run roughshod through the company. But I got to say, I'm so glad, even though he's injured and I don't, you know, I don't wish, I don't wish injuries on no wrestlers. I'm glad Eric Rowan is off my fucking TV because he stinks. <laughs> I hate to say it, but he does. Fucking whack. Fucking, uh, like Kofi Kingston said on Monday when he held up the sign, you know, hot garbage. Yes. Uh, you know, when he held up the sign and said that Seamus is hot garbage, um, uh, I definitely feel that that sign also applies in this case. It definitely does. Um, David says, y'all got to stop with the James Ellsworth shit. <laughs> It was um it was it was funny. You know, I like I said, Styles Styles had a really great promo going into this and the match itself was <laughs> ridiculous. The match was ridiculous like I said, I understood the long game. I knew I knew where it was going and like I said, it's it's one of those things they want to have a little fun with it. Come on. You know James Ellsworth isn't doing shit except you know, working at Filene's basement Monday through Friday, you know, <laughs> like, like that's what he's doing. The guy, the guy, the guy probably just has a regular job. He wrestles as, you know, enhancement talent, or maybe he's just a, a pretty solid indie guy that looks like he has no chin, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not bad, man. I've seen, I've seen worse. I know, I know people hate it, but I understood, you know, where it was going from a, from the long perspective. Like I said, it's all toward leaning towards next week. Ellsworth will be fucking destroyed, and that'll be it. Rest assured, I sincerely doubt we're going to get James Ellsworth WWE champion. I doubt it utterly. But stranger thing, I got to say, stranger things have happened. Again, don't think that I don't. <laughs> David says, wasting my time on TV is what he's doing. <laughs> I, you know what it is though? Exactly what's happening. It's, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> slick ads. If Ellsworth takes the title, y'all better come to my funeral because I will fucking die. Look, like I said, it was, it was an angle more than anything. You know, Ambrose being Ambrose, you know, he had to get some revenge there. And you know, AJ is going to kill James Ellsworth next week. <laughs> oh, man. It was like I said, was it great? I it could have been better, but we've seen this before. We've seen this numerous times 
where the champ is a is a cocky motherfucker and they pick the most unlikely opponent and he loses and all hell breaks loose. We saw it with Razor Ramon and the kid. We've seen it so many fucking times that I'm used to it. But it amused the shit out of me. It like I said, I knew where it was going. Slick adds the best thing to happen will be that Ellsworth gets a second win somehow. <laughs> And David adds, if he wins, I'll never watch that shit again. You, it, see this? Whether you love it or you hate it, it, it has you somewhat invested in a twisted sense. And they know what they're doing. They're fucking with, with the fans, with this James Ellsworth guy. They're like, oh, man, look at this guy. He's fucking, he, you know, he looks like a janitor in a porn theater. Like, come on. It's just, it's just amusing. Like I said, for somebody who's been watching wrestling for so long, I, I get where they're going with it. We'll just see if the payoff is worth it next week. Anyway, let's switch gears, get into the other wrestling news of the week. There are, there are quite a few. Uh, the first one is something that's been talked about in a couple of different websites. And um, this was pretty crazy. It was a survey, allegedly, that WWE sent out asking about different pricing options for the network. Okay? So... Obviously, we know the WWE Network, $9.99 per month, watch whatever you want, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they want to have different tiers, and I'm going to explain them to you guys based on what a couple of different sites published, WrestleZone, et cetera, et cetera. They published these pieces, and the plans would be broken out as follows. The free plan would allow you to access short video clips less than five minutes each, Access to all content in the WWE video archive, including live events 30 days after they air, but only for a period of up to five hours per month from the video archive. This plan would include full commercials. So they'd have a free tier that you could go watch some video clips, maybe watch a pay-per-view from the month before or something from the archives, but you'd have commercials and it would be free. Pretty cool. A $4.99 plan, which would work for tablets and smartphones only, would offer viewers complete access to uh, live stream the video archive, the big four WWE pay-per-view events, pre-recorded NXT episodes, and would offer limited commercial breaks. Then, of course, you got the $9.99 plan, which would be similar to what's out there now, and it would offer access to a live weekly NXT show that they would be doing, as well as a new weekly Cruiserweight Classic series or Cruiserweight series, and it would have limited commercial breaks. Again, $9.99. The, uh, all of these, it's all stuff I'm saying. It is what it is. But the, the thing that, that gets me, that gets the most attention is the following. $14.99 would include everything, no commercial breaks, but this tier would include access to independent wrestling content such as TNA and Ring of Honor. Very, very, very interesting. Now, here's what happens. If you guys have been following the TNA story, you know that TNA is possibly going to sell their tape library to WWE the company would be sold to Billy Corrigan, who would rebrand the company and, you know, rename it something else and start from scratch. So the funny thing is that, you know, people were talking about this in different websites, different different chat rooms, different forums. And as I read this, everybody's all up in arms about it. But here's the thing. The UFC already does this with UFC Fight Pass. 
If you guys have used UFC Fight Pass or have heard me talk about it, they show stuff from Invicta and stuff from other smaller promotions. The UFC does this already. So WWE is just being the vehicle for these other promotions. Think about this. If you're in New York, it's it's impossible for you to see Ring of Honor programming anyway. But if you're a WWE Network subscriber, you would get it. You know, and it's $5. We already pay the 10, $5 to get Ring of Honor, maybe live and any and here's the best part. And I'm curious about this. Would we also get the Ring of Honor special events? You know, Death Before Dishonor, all their pay-per-views. I'm curious. Obviously, with the TNA stuff, we'd only get archive stuff, but you never know. Maybe if Corrigan buys it and they come to an agreement, maybe we get to see TNA stuff on the network. Crazy, crazy stuff. Like I said, the free plan, the $5 plan, the $10 plan, whatever. Who gives a shit? But $14.99, no commercials, plus independent wrestling. Not to mention, if they start working with companies like Evolve, or House of Glory, and start letting those guys put their content on there, it, it would be fucking crazy. It would be insane. Imagine imagine the WWE Network becomes the content hub for not only the big, the big promotions, but the smaller independents as well. An incredible value for $15. Not only that, but it gets all these performers in front of talent that they've never... I mean... Let me rephrase that. It gets these this talent in front of people who may not even be familiar with them. I know I've talked about Ring of Honor a bunch of times on air, but I know people that aren't even familiar with the company. They don't know that a guy like Moose came out of Ring of Honor or the American Wolves or Samoa Joe or CM Punk or Daniel Bryan. It would it would be insane. It would be insane. Like I said, $15 the extra five bucks just to get Ring of Honor programming would be in. I'd, I'd love it. I would love it. And I'd take it one step further. Imagine, which it wouldn't happen, but just imagine if they get tape libraries from, like I said, um, you know, CZW, Pro Wrestling Gorilla, Chikara. Imagine that. Imagine being able to watch like Chikara or Pro Wrestling Gorilla on the WWE network. Why not? 15 bucks, man. You can't beat it. No commercials. Fucking just consuming all that alone, especially if you get like the Ring of Honor pay-per-views. Think about it. Like I tell people all the time, $60 a year is essentially the cost of one HD pay-per-view on cable. And you're getting hours upon hours of programming between live shit, archive stuff, and pay-per-views. It's a win-win for everybody. But definitely very, very, very interesting. Slick says, I would pay $5 just to get weekly dumb shit from Broken Matt and his adventures with Brother Nero and King Maxwell. Well, a couple of things. They're actually going to do an entire episode of, of Impact from the Hardy Compound. I believe it's going to be called Broken Impact or, or, or something like that. I think it's going to be called Broken Impact. And the entire show is going to be done from, is going to be done from the Hardy Compound. It is insane. I, I don't I think they taped it already, but it will think about this. A complete episode of impact at the Hardy compound. It, it's 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 gonna be bananas. It is gonna be super over the top. And we've already seen some crazy shit between the Great War, the final deletion, just mayhem, and all of it in the Hardy's backyard. 
I'm intrigued. I am definitely intrigued. Um, of course, it's not a week where we don't talk about Paige. Paige got herself another wellness suspension and is now suspended for 60 days. Now, Paige, her family, etc., have been very vocal about the fact that it's all bullshit, blah, blah, blah. You're, you know what? David said uh, total nonstop deletion. You might be right. You might be right. I think it is total nonstop deletion, which is insane. Either either it, either it's I think it might be total nonstop deletion. Props to Dave. He might be right. So as I was saying, Paige got suspended 60 days. Um, you know, she had already got the 30 day suspension. Now she's suspended for 60 days. Paige, her family, etc. They take the social media. They're all like, blah, blah, blah. This is bullshit. It's because of the painkiller she's on for her neck injury, etc., 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 etc. Well, the story gets a little crazy, folks, because WWE put a statement in the New York Post, which is a local paper here in New York City, and um, here's what happens. WWE went and told the New York Post, Soraya Jade Bevis, a.k.a. Paige, Tested positive for an illegal substance, not a prescription drug. WWE statement to the post read, in addition, WWE is providing world-class medical medical care for her in-ring injury. Now, of course, people reading this will automatically see it as WWE pretty much kicking, uh, you know, kicking dirt on the statements issued by Paige and her family, which, um... You know, it's it's a joke. You know, I kid when I say as the page turns, but I'm telling you, this is going to end with Paige getting cut loose. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're doing it. You know, Paige's father put a statement on Facebook and um, so did her, you know, so did her mom, et cetera, et cetera. And it's it's been a roller coaster, man. It's been a very, very big roller coaster ride for Paige, but I don't see it ending well. I don't. I know she has to go back and she has to finish out her contract, but they're going to make her life a living hell. She'll probably, she could, you know, she may come back and she'll just get jobbed out every week and that'll be it until, you know, her contract is up or maybe she'll get a third strike, a third wellness strike and get cut loose. David says, I'll admit I watch total divas. It wouldn't surprise me in the least to find out that Paige does some drugs. Well, you know what it is? That seems to be a very, very, very big possibility. A lot of people and a lot of different websites have talked about numerous situations that have happened, including the altercation during the Money in the Bank event with Del Rio. And, um, you know, if you've noticed and you see her in photos, she definitely looks withdrawn, a little beat up, not beat up physically, but just, you know, like like the road has been rough to her. Like I said, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. I don't want to, you know, disparage her in any way if she has any sort of... uh substance abuse problems please you know get it get that checked out you know you're a young chick you've been wrestling for a while um you know you made a ton of money in the company and the company values you and i think that you know they value her enough to put her in total divas and all this shit so clearly she is a she's an asset but the del rio situation was was i think a bigger problem than we're being led to believe i mean you know, they wanted her to break up with Del Rio. I don't know if it was because of the nasty divorce he was going through or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, you know, I kind of felt that that was WWE overstepped in saying, oh, you know, break up with, with, with the guy you're dating, etc. It's like, yo, that's none of your business. 
Um, you know, does she come to work every week? Does she wrestle? Does she do what she got to do? Then that's all that matters. Now, if WWE was being proactive because they saw self-destructive behavior, that's another story. And I think that by WWE issuing this statement to the post, they're letting everybody know like, hey, we're aware that you're up to something. It's not good. Stop fucking around. And it's not. And the best part was that they specifically said not prescription stuff. So clearly it is definitely something else in any case. Definitely not not a good look for Paige. I'm I'm going to be monitoring this story very closely because, like I said, it's it's definitely inevitable. Slick says WWE talking to the post takes credibility away from WWE in my eyes. You know what it is? I think that part of the reason why they talked to this paper was because obviously Del Rio's here in New York and you know promoting Combates and Paige is with him. And yeah, sure they could have talked to to the Daily News. But the Daily News doesn't necessarily cover wrestling like they used to. I remember I used to read an old column they used to do on the back page with a masked wrestler. And he would talk about WWE rumors or WWF rumors at the time. I used to look forward to that column in the Daily News. I want to say it was either every Friday or every Sunday. And I want to say it was called the Slammer. But I could be wrong. But see, Slick Slick remembers. Slick knows what I'm talking about. Man, I used to, I used to love that shit. Think about it. We were looking in the newspaper for rumors. And again, I'm dating myself. This is before, you know, all the shit on on Facebook and chat rooms and all this shit. This was back of the daily news. And it was a fucking like a column that was probably this big. And it, <laughs> like Slick said, this is before the Internet. One hundred percent. It's definitely a BTI before the Internet. Um it was it was crazy, man. I, I'd look forward to it in the back of the Daily News every fucking week. You know, I'd take my 50 cents, you know, it was it was crazy. It was it was crazy. Um, but like I said, for them to put it in the post, it was um, I don't know, man, it could have been it could have been, like I said, just a, a nice direct salvo. But I think that the best the craziest thing was that they were like, listen, and WWE does doesn't divulge what people are being suspended for. And for them to do that, clearly they're trying to send a message because that's, that's what it is. Think about it. All the people that get suspended, they never talk about it. Like, yeah, we knew about Roman Reigns with the Adderall because somebody got some, some information. WWE never confirmed it. Nobody ever confirmed Eva Marie's suspension or anybody like we, like they never confirmed the substances that were involved. You know, like slick said, they're trying to say, they're trying to save face for the wrestler. And that's exactly it. I mean, is it right? Is it wrong? Like I said, I don't know the, the personal details, but if you're being suspended for wellness and you're already injured and getting medication, they're well aware that you're getting medication for your injury. I mean, they said it right there. They said that WWE tested, you know, uh, say Soraya Jade Bevis tested positive for an illegal substance. And they specifically said not a prescription drug. So, they all, you know, and the fact that they even said WWE is providing world class medical care for her in ring injury shows you. It shows you that they're saying, "Stop talking shit on the internet. Eat your sixty days. Cut the shit because it's we we we're, we're we have control of the message." And it's true, even though you know Paige's brothers and and her dad and her mom can use Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and do all this stuff. The WWE can just go and talk to TMZ or go to ESPN with a coach or go on the New York Post. 
Like, it doesn't take much for them to just be like, listen, this chick has a drug problem. We tried to stop her because she was, you know, posing a danger to herself. She's a young girl. And, you know, clearly it's a, it's a bigger problem than than just us. They could just as easily do that and fucking just ruin her rep on the spot. Be like, yo, she's a druggie and we're trying to do it quietly and she can't keep her fucking mouth shut and we're sorry. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting, man, when it comes to stuff like this, because like I said, WWE has deep pockets. They control the message. They can go to the paper. They can go, like I said, to ESPN. They can they, they have a, a litany of outlets at their disposal, not to mention their own website. And, you know, Paige's family can say what they want. But not, I since you know no family member is going to be like yeah Jay, you know uh, Soraya Jade has a has a drug problem or Paige has a drug problem and we're trying to help her out you know <laughs> it's uh, it, it's insane you know it's 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 a crazy situation and we're going to be monitoring it very closely because like I said this this is going to escalate I see it escalating and it's going to get worse like I said she's already on the hook for sixty days. She's dealing with the injury, which they're saying is a neck injury. It's it's pretty serious, man. It's 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 probably going to end up with her getting released or at minimum just her being buried up until they feel that it's the right time to cut her loose. We'll be we'll be keeping an eye on that. The other big story is the possibility that Hideo Itami got injured again. Uh, the pro wrestling sheet actually put out a, a piece that said that Itami injured his shoulder during an October 1st house show where he ended up landing on his neck and um you know they're saying that whatever issue he is suffering from is going to keep him out for a couple of months now you know Hideo Itami was out almost a practically a year for his shoulder issue and he's in the cru- he's in the uh, Cruiserweight Classic in the in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Invitational with um uh, what the hell is this guy's name with Kota Ibushi so it's it's a, it's a big blow. It's a big blow to NXT. It's a big blow to the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic if he really is injured. Uh just bad news all around. I think um it's uh it's it's crazy. Hopefully it's 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 not too serious and Itami can get back in there because I'm waiting for Itami to, you know, chain a couple of wins together, maybe challenge. I'd love to see him and Nakamura mix it up in a match. I think it would be ridiculous and uh people will go crazy for that. So We'll see what happens. We'll be monitoring this. Obviously, even though we won't have any shows next week, uh, we'll we'll see if we get any updates for the show the week after. Last but not least, um, you know, the next pay-per-view for the Raw brand is Hell in a Cell. A lot of matches started taking shape over the, you know, the last week or so, especially on Raw Monday night. We got three Hell in a Cell matches. We got the first women's Hell in a Cell match with, with Charlotte and Sasha Banks which I have a feeling is going to be an instant classic, and I commend WWE for taking the risk. I mean, TNA has been letting their their knockouts do ladder matches and definitely hard, more hardcore stuff, and if you watch Lucha Underground, you know the ladies in Lucha Underground are doing some crazy shit as well. I think it's um, it's a good step forward. I think Sasha Banks and Charlotte in Hell in the Cell is going to be a fucking problem. Uh, Rusev and Roman Reigns will also square off in Hell in the Cell for the U.S. title. I think that's going to be a solid match. And Owens and Rollins will also be taking place in Hell in the Cell. Uh, all three matches are solid. All three matches definitely should be in there. Uh, Cesaro and Sheamus are going to be taking on the New Day. 
I'm I'm a little bummed that that match did not take place in Hell in a Cell. And I got to say this, TNA does a good job with that in that if their pay-per-view has a theme, all the matches are taking place, you know, with that theme. I think every title should be defended in Hell in a Cell, period. Brian Kendrick, TJ Perkins, Cesaro and Sheamus against the New Day. It's like the pay-per-view is called Hell in a Cell. All the matches should take place inside Hell in a Cell. Not fucking three matches and then the other two not so much. All the matches. All of them. The cell comes down. Motherfuckers go in. They wrestle. They leave. New guys come in. It's not that that complicated, guys. It's a theme pay-per-view. That's the theme. If they did um, Money in the Bank, I would do a Money in the Bank for the SmackDown title. I would do a Money in the Bank for the Raw title. And it would be Money in the Bank for those respective titles. I would even do a Money in the Bank for the women's title. I'd love to see that. I mean, if they have a deeper roster, I'd love to see a Money in the Bank ladder match with with the women on the on the WWE roster. I think it would be fucking bananas. Uh, David says, I agree, except for the tag titles. You know what it is? I would do the tag titles because you would have either Biggie and Kofi taking on Cesaro and Sheamus, and you would have um, Xavier Woods outside. And that way, you know, you know you're going to have some New Day interference, but it just changes the, the dynamic a bit, and it could be a good way to put the belts on Cesaro and Sheamus because it would create that question like, oh, if the New Day has everybody in there, it is what it is, you know? Um, I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind that. I think that would be a good way to do it, but obviously not the case. But again, if we, if we're doing themed pay-per-views, you know, TLC, uh, money in the bank, hell in the cell, it should, it should be done. It should be done that way. Elimination chamber. I would have, uh, a universal title match, you know, a U.S. title match and a women's title match all in the elimination chamber, whether it's on raw or on SmackDown. That's what I would do. At minimum, those three titles. That's all I'm saying. In any case, you know, I think that the uh, Hell in the Cell uh, pay-per-view, and I say that in quotes, is um, is taking taking shape and has some pretty solid matches on paper. We'll see what happens. We'll see what continues to develop. Also, um, during SmackDown, Raw uh, Shane and Daniel Bryan challenged uh, Raw to a traditional Survivor Series match between Raw and SmackDown teams. I have no problem with this. I think it would be cool, and I would definitely have some sort of a, you know, some, some something special, like if the SmackDown team survives, they, um, you know, they, they are capable of, of doing three trades or, or something. You know, they, they can trade for three superstars of their choice. That would be fucking cool. I would love that. Like, think about it. Raw versus SmackDown at the Survivor Series, the winning team gets to trade, uh, pick three superstars from the other roster to trade. Could be anybody except champions. Champions would be excluded. But that'd be a bit, that would be a good way to get a guy like Kalisto onto Raw for the cruiserweights. And maybe, you know, trade trade a couple of different guys between the two. That would be a that would be an awesome way to do that. I just feel that doing a traditional Survivor Series match just for bragging rights alone, eh, dangle dangle a little carrot in there, add a little extra a little extra oomph, a little extra incentive. Maybe you know the winning team the winning team gets to pick the number one and number thirty slot in the Royal Rumble. 
that would be pretty dope. Or at minimum, maybe maybe they would shoot, they would they would compete, and the winning team would pick the number thirty slot, and the losing team would have to get the would have to have the number one slot, something like that. I think that would be, you know, put something in there to make it mean something. Is all I'm saying. That's it. But you know, Survivor Series is a little bit, you know, it, it's it's a month away, and um, who knows? I honestly think um, Hell in the Cell looks good on paper. And we'll see what happens when Survivor Series comes around. And I'll keep you guys updated with any additional developments in the page situation. Anyway, that last bit of wrestling news is going to wrap up this week's show. With that, I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling. I'd love to hear yours. Feel free to hit us up on social media at my take radio or at rage underscore works on Twitter. You can also look for rage works on Facebook facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. And if you want to interact with us, you can also join the RageWorks Facebook group. Last but not least, you can also find RageWorks on Snapchat, Instagram, Pinterest, Google+, and also on YouTube with archives of this episode and some of our previous episodes. Audio versions can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. All right, with that, you can catch us Later on today for the gaming and entertainment edition of MTR, we will be off next week. There will be no live episodes of My Take Radio, but feel free to check out all of the shows on the RageWorks Network, which, by the way, which I forgot to mention at the start of the show, uh, the iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio will be changed from My Take Radio, and it will officially say the RageWorks Network, and that has been happening gradually. The description has changed, the title has changed, but the... Um, the cover art for iTunes has not changed, but it's happening gradually. In any case, the goal is to have the RageWorks network on there and you'll be able to access all the shows. And then maybe we'll start working on the individual shows as well. All right. Thank you guys for checking out the MMA and wrestling edition of my take radio. We'll see you later on today for the gaming and entertainment edition. If not, we will see you not next week, but the week after for MTR live at Wednesday, on Wednesday, 11.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Pacific. Look for details for the schedule on RageWorks.net. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Peace. I'm rich, bitch! <laughs>